Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Monday Musings with RC, where I tell you what's been going on in the Black and Brown communities, and I discuss things that are important to us. So as we all know, October is both Breast Cancer Awareness Month as well as Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And today I have a special guest, um, and we are going to speak today about violence in our communities, violence against women. And today's special guest is none other than the infamous Marion Brooks. Good evening, good evening. Good evening, RC. How are you? I am fantastic. I really appreciate you squeezing me in. I know there's probably some breaking news story right now. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody will handle it. It'll Somebody will handle it, yes. You're, you're seasoned, so I'm sure you have plenty of other people that can handle it in the meantime. Yes, yes. So I won't take up too much of your time, but I do want to give people more of an official background, so I'll read a snippet of your lengthy bio. Okay. So Marion Brooks is an award-winning anchor and investigative reporter at NBC5. Her passion is reporting and storytelling. And in her investigative work, she has been drawn to social and criminal justice issues. Brooks' series of reports on sex trafficking in Chicago in 2014 has earned her several awards, including a regional Edward R. Murrow Award and national recognition from the Alliance for Women in Media, Gracie. She has won additional awards from both the National and Illinois Mental Health Associations, the Chicago Association of Black Journalists, and the National Association of Television Arts and Sciences, to name a few. And she has also won a news and documentary Emmy for Outstanding Regional News Story for her investigative story on sex trafficking. Welcome again, Marion Brooks. Thank you. So I first met you maybe three or four years ago when I was trying to promote my solo show, Runway Journey. Mm -hmm. And for those that don't know, um, I'm a writer and performer and my solo show, Runway Journey, depicts the healing journey of a young woman after a sexual assault. And it talks about the intersection of race and sex and um, sexuality. Um, and so we had great conversations that day. Um, and then after that, um, I worked with you on the Survivors Project, which was extremely impactful. Um, so I will put the link on my page so people can go back and see that now. Um, but today we're specifically talking about um, a different violence against women, not just sexual assault. And although we recognize that violence does occur against men, against children, against, against non-binary persons, today I think I really would like to delve into um, the work that you've done with sex trafficking. Now, before we jump in too deep though, I just want to say, how did you get started as a journalist? Like, were you a little girl always holding a microphone up to people and asking <laughs> to hear their stories or what? No, you know, I wanted to go to law school. I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, I was one of those people, though, who always wanted to affect change. And um, initially, I would watch when I was a kid, Perry Mason. You probably don't even remember Perry Mason. I, I do. My Perry parents Mason. watched it. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, so Perry Mason was, when I was a kid, it was in reruns, and I would watch it in the afternoons after school, and he, you know, I just loved that he was fighting for the, the person who people thought was guilty, but who wasn't really guilty, and mm -hmm. so 
and I, and I always had a desire to help people. And then I, I went to, to college. So my whole idea was to go into law school, but I wasn't ready right after college to go to law school. My mom suggested journalism and she thought I had the skill set naturally for it. And because I was an English major, I knew how to write and all of that. So so let me try this out and see if it is a fit. And then, you know, I can always go to law school later. And as it turns out, it was a perfect fit because it, it provided a way to tell, to help people through telling their stories and through raising awareness about issues. And so I could always in this field do my best to affect change or at least attempt. And so that's sort of always been one of my drivers. Right. So if you are just tuning in, I am R.C. Riley. This is Monday Musings with R.C. My special guest today is none other, other than the award-winning anchor and journalist, Marion Brooks. And we are talking about um, violence against women in our communities. So what do you love most about reporting? Now, I'm wondering if there are things that you felt led you to your desire to be a, an attorney that you still kind of use, those um, skill sets, um, and if those things kind of come into play with reporting. Oh, absolutely. You have to learn a lot about a lot of different things in journalism. So, you, you know, you may start your day and your assignment may be, okay, um, this issue is being covered in, by the legislature, if someone's trying to get, you know, a law passed, and you have to familiarize yourself with information very quickly, try to find experts. So you really do hone a lot of skills. And a lot of that is interwoven because you could cover a court case and you have to understand the movers and the shakers, who's the defendant, who's the plaintiff, who's the defense right. attorney. So all of that sort of plays in. So that's another thing that I love about journalism is you can go in a million different directions. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I found that trying to help people and give voice to the voiceless and provide um, an opportunity to create awareness and a platform for people who aren't normally heard. I think that comes from being an African-American woman. Right. And our people are not often heard. So it, it, it was sort of an easy, and I just found that everything sort of came together with journalism as an opportunity to sort of accomplish the things that I didn't even know I wanted to accomplish, but were there inside me. They were natural and innate. Nice. And, uh, and so storytelling is a way to do that. It's one of many ways to do that. As you know, you're a fantastic natural storyteller. Um, and so, and, and it can be powerful. I mean, there's nothing, you talked a little bit about the Survivors Project, but let me share with your audience that, the combination of you being an amazing storyteller and a performer and the bravery that you showed to be able to share your story is the kind of combination that is explosively impactful. So somebody watching your story, I dare them to walk away and not want to go make something happen because that's how powerful you are in your, in your field and in your space and with your language. Well, to me, that's remarkable. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the things that I love about storytelling and journalism is one way to provide that, you know, as is performance art. And so um, it just, it, it just ticks a lot of the boxes for me, you know, and thank you, by the way, for your participation, because I know you've helped many people by sharing. It was, it was really, you know, I thought that I had gotten to a certain point in my healing journey where things were behind me, but then um, with the Survivors Project, the questions that you asked 
really made me think even more about the journey I was on and allowed me to look at myself and my strength, um, but also look at some areas where I still wanted to work on. So it, it left me thinking for a long time after. So I appreciate that opportunity. And then going back and watching it and hearing other people's stories, um, it just, it moves you. It, it makes you want to stop violence everywhere. It really, it makes you say, there's no reason this should happen. People should not have to continue to suffer in silence. And um, it, it just makes you want to do more, like you said. So thank you for right. giving people the platform to tell their stories. No doubt. No, I mean, I'm honored. I'm absolutely honored. Yeah. So now um, you said you came kind of your mom kind of led you into journalism. But as a kid, I just want to know a little bit about you. I'm curious. Like, were you like as a young person, were you like, very fun and lively and outgoing? Or was that something you had to learn um, in order to be a good journalist because you'd be on TV all the time? Or what was your- You know, I, I was one of those kids who, um, I was a bit of a pleaser. And I was always one of those kids that would get involved. You know, if there was, I was in student government, you know, something was going on. I was like, I'm gonna be the first one in line to do it. You know, I was, I was always involved and- okay. Part of what, but I've always been one of those kids, I was always one of those kids too who felt bad for people who weren't treated well. I have a very distinct memory about that. There was a girl in my third grade class and I remember her, I remember seeing her in her car and she was living in her car. I'm gonna cry thinking about it. But I, um, I remember people making fun of her and I remember thinking, that's not right, you know? She was a sweet, sweet girl mm -hmm. and um and it bothered me that people made fun of her so i made it a point of befriending her and um learning more about who she was and you know we're all parts of a story and she was lovely and, and i mean i remember i will never forget um how how much it hurt me that she had to go through what she was going through right. but how lovely she was despite what she was going through and getting to know her just gave me that fuller picture, even as a child. I didn't know what I was listening to at the moment. Right, right, exactly. But, I, but, but it was always sort of there to think about other people. And, and I, come from, um, I come from a background that's a little bit different. Excuse me. I know the running. I don't have a cold. I'm a, it's not COVID. I'm drinking tea. <laughs> so my nose is running. Um, so my mom is, is white. My dad is black. So we were always in a, in a, in a space... And I grew up in Portland, Oregon, which is a predominantly white area, but it's, there's, it's, it's got some, some black folks there too, but not a lot of other folks. There's a lot of white people. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, just always people looking at me funny, like, oh, your mom is white. And, you know, they couldn't really get it. And then, you know, and then it was, so we always felt a little bit different anyway. So I think um, maybe that experience growing up, right. being, feeling different, um, and then, always sort of having a level of compassion for other people. It's sort of all built on itself, you know, and then mm -hmm. getting involved in, in um, student government, always trying to, you know, help people and think, how right. can we make things better? And, right. you know, things like that. So I don't know. I, I guess it was just one of those, I'd say if I, the, my big takeaway was I was one of those probably compassionate sort of pleaser types. I didn't want to ever make my teachers mad. I didn't want to make my parents mad, mm -hmm. you know, so. 
Do you I have was, siblings? I do. I have a sister. I have a sister who is nine years younger. And I was just going to say, oh. I did get in trouble, though. I was not a kid who was, I mean, I'm not trying to make it sound like I was perfect because, <laughs> you know, I got caught sneaking out. I mean, I was right. not a kid. Uh, my parents had to lay down the law several times, you know. My dad was a strict military kind of guy. So, mm -hmm. you know, I definitely had my moments. But, but I do think, uh, I think, you know, always wanted to achieve. I always wanted to make sure that I was, you know, making my parents happy and making my teachers happy. And that, that served me, that ended up serving me well. Definitely, definitely. So um, specifically though, what fuels your passion for digging into these tough topics such as um, sexual assault and sex trafficking? Those are gut-wrenching stories that you investigate. And I, I, I'm curious to know what made you want to investigate sex trafficking? Well, it all stemmed from one story. There was a mother who was looking for her missing daughter. She was 14 years old and she had been kidnapped from a party and she was missing for six weeks. And it turns out she was being groomed to be trafficked. And when I, when I heard trafficked, I, I thought, what do you mean? I mean, this is something that happens in Eastern Europe and it's not something that happens here in the United States of America. What are you talking about? And really the paradigm shift that happened with my mind when you think about the control that a trafficker has, that a pimp has, it's just a, it's a different, it's a paradigm shift in the way we look at prostitution, right. really. Because prostitution, some people say, is a victimless crime. But I challenge that because you, you are dealing with so many layers of abuse before someone ends up becoming, getting involved in that world. And very typically, they are groomed. They are manipulated. They are very often victims of violence. More often mm -hmm. than not, they're victims of violence. Right. So you're already dealing with someone who's broken. And the mother who shared the story with me about her daughter and what her, how they were grooming her daughter, you know, had to do with things like they were drugging her. And they were telling her that her mother didn't want to know where she was. And they were, you know, having her do things that would make her ashamed. And that is a breaking down of a person's right, right. self awareness and self-esteem and 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 self-love and just who they are and she's 14 i have a 14 year old daughter i can't imagine this exactly. happening to her. right but this is how it works you know and there's many different ways of grooming but it's how it works i mean there's there's sometimes there's the the love grooming where you you, you find a, a kid who may have run away from home because they were unhappy with their parents but the trafficker you know, sees that, they know what they look like, they see that victim and they say, come on, I need you to, I, you know, I love you so much, I'm gonna fill the hole missing in your heart, you know, I'm gonna take right. care of you, I'm gonna love you. And that person thinks they've got a boyfriend, they've got the man of their dreams, and then they're like, you know what, I can't pay the rent, can you just do this one thing for me? Mm -hmm. Can you just, and so when I learned more about it, first I was like, the world needs to know this is happening in America. Because right. people don't know this is happening in America. Right. So that was one of my primary things I wanted to share. And then second, I'm always about humanizing people. You know, too often in our rape culture in America, you know, Me Too has done a lot to change the shift. We've talked a little bit about that, the Me Too movement. Right. 
has gone a long way in shifting the thinking about um, how we view women in general right. and the objectification that happens and the permission that men have felt they had mm -hmm. uh, that they do not have. Right. And so it's the same sort of shift, but you, you, we need to humanize. You know, the, 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 the woman who you see dancing at the strip club and you think she's paying her way through college or she uh, wants to be here, what's the story that got her there? And then she's still a human being. She deserves to be treated with respect. She deserves exactly. to have her story told. She deserves for you to know her for herself, mm -hmm. you know, who she is, and not this person just dancing to entertain you. So right. all, of those, all of those things, I mean, it started with one story, but then it grew from there. Okay. And, uh, and it's, it's, that's still an issue. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a tough issue, but I'm glad that we did the work. And I think the shift in thinking it has occurred. It's beginning to occur if it hasn't already. So um, that story, was that a person who was in Chicago? The yes. first story? Yes. And I think that's important for us to mention because this happens not just in the United States, but in Illinois and in Chicago. Oh, yeah. And it still happens. Um, oh, yeah. And I think that, Again, like you said, people think this happens in European countries um, and that it's a foreign situation to America, but the grooming, I'm glad you explained that. And at 14 years old, to think that someone could be taken from a party and not come back home is devastating. So from doing the work, all these years, what would you say are some things that people should look out for? How do they, if, if I had a 14 year old daughter, my son is 15, um, but I guess a twofold question here. One, what are some things that parents can say to their children to watch out for to ensure that they don't get into that situation? Because that when you talked about the grooming, initially I think I, I thought of somebody just being kidnapped and then trafficked. But then that grooming is a process. So that's just not a quick kidnap. Um, so what are some things that people should look out for? Well, the things you should look out for are don't believe everything somebody tells you. One of the main ways people are groomed these days is not by being kidnapped. It's on the Internet. It's through Facebook. It's through dating apps. There are people who are groomed through dating apps. There are young women, and it's not just teenagers. It's young women as well. I have one story where a woman was on a dating app, and it was actually a sugar daddy app. It was, you know, she was looking for somebody who, you know, could, would pay her rent or whatever in exchange for companionship, mm -hmm. which is a slippery slope to prostitution. She was naive about it, however. Mm -hmm. She didn't realize that's what she was looking at. So okay. she, she ends up being flown out to Philadelphia and wined and dined and groomed. And the guy basically wanted to put her to work, but he spent a good two months. He worked it and he had women he was working all over that he met through a dating app and it can happen on Facebook. A lot of women have been groomed through Facebook. Right. You know, a guy will see the posting on Facebook. He'll comment on it. Next thing you know, you're developing a relationship and they create this entire persona what do you, they, they, they're, they're grooming you trying to figure out what you want, what you like, okay. then they're filling that hole. Whatever it is you mm. say you like, they become that. Okay. And then okay. they draw you in and draw you in. And right. they know when they, they, they know how to pick their, their victims, so to speak, because right. they're looking for people who are somewhat vulnerable right. right? and they go right toward it. So my advice to parents is 
Make sure that you know who your kids are in communication with. Work really hard on trying to make sure that you educate them as well. I mean, there's videos and movies out there that talk about this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Educate them that not everybody is who they say they are. Let them know that people don't have your best interest at heart just because they say they do. Right. You know, so just be one of those hover parents. I mean, I know that people talk about you shouldn't be like that all the time, but I have all my daughter's passwords. I don't have her on social media, except she's on this TikTok, but I'm constantly like, what's up with this TikTok? And show me what this is and what does this mean? And, right. You know, making sure that there, there's no connections that she has outside of that I don't know about. Right. One of the and main things is be on top of those kids. Now, that can be challenging for a parent oh, yeah. because I know that we try to balance giving them some sort of independence. Um, I, I know, I, like I said, I have a 15-year-old son, and I am constantly talking to him about how he's presenting himself in the world and how he's um, communicating with other people, especially young girls, young boys, and making sure that he won't get drawn into something such as a trafficking ring. Um, so in my mind, if I have a a mild-mannered and gentle-hearted child, they're more susceptible to being naive and, and, and allowing that sort of thing to happen around them or to be a part of it. Because that's the other question I had. What are some things that you can say to parents who may have a child who would unknowingly um, kind of get somebody involved? So what if there's some guy at a party that's cool? And a, a naive young boy is like, oh, I get to hang out with this cool guy. And the guy's like, yeah, get that girl and bring her over yep. here. Oh, so yeah, that yeah. can happen as well. And I'm a, I'm a big, I, I think that we often focus on our girls, um, but we don't think about the young boys as well, that they could be susceptible and that we need to teach them and educate them as well. So Absolutely. what are some... Have you seen that in the stories? Have you seen situations where parents were concerned and um, their boys were naively involved or anything of that nature? I haven't seen that directly, but one thing that's important, I think, for everybody to focus on, too, is the demand side. Now, you're, you're a mom of a boy, so I know that you, and I just knowing you, I know that you're teaching how to treat a young woman. Mm -hmm. So if you, if he knows to treat a young woman with respect and never put her in a position where she's not comfortable, then that same attitude can extend to a friend, you know, and watch your friend's backs, make sure that they aren't going down roads. I mean, yeah, you're right. They can be vulnerable to, uh, and they can be vulnerable to be trafficked too. I mean, there are people out there who are seeking young men, so it's not like they can't be brought in and and put to work in the same sort of way. It's not as prevalent, but it does happen. Right, right. Um, so I think being, you know, letting them know it happens. If they are aware, I think if we, if we um, arm our kids with information right. and let them know what the deal is, then exactly. I think that they, they, they'll use that. And if we, if we show them how to treat people, that respect is important, that caring is important, they'll take that forward, you know, and we're modeling that behavior. And the exactly. other thing is about demand because demand is a big deal. So when, um, and, and when you treat a woman like a human being, when you know that you're supposed to treat them with respect and honor, then you're not going to look at them as if they should, should be objectified. But there mm -hmm. are still people in the world who, you know, feel like their 16 year old son ought to be deflowered, so to speak. And right. they may take him to, a prostitute. Mm 
Right. And what does that say to that young boy at 16 years old if his dad is taking him to a prostitute so that he doesn't isn't a virgin anymore? Right. Exactly. What does he think about women when that's part of his growing up? And there are people that do that. And so that's a whole another side of the story where the hope is to reduce the demand because that's the one way that trafficking can be eradicated. And that's a tougher, that's a tougher lesson, but it's doable. So that's another thing you can teach your right. children, both men, your boys and your girls, you know, respecting other people's spaces. And there's a lot of, you know, touch, respectful touch, respectful uh, interactions. Okay. All of that is all really important from both for boys and for girls. Exactly. So, you know. Thank you. Um, I know it's, it's tough. I talk to a lot of parents who are like, well, I want to, it's hard to balance um, giving them freedom and then um, with being on top of them and knowing everything they're doing. But then it's also challenging in the sense that um, I want to tell them a lot of what's going on in the world. But at the same time, I want them to be, to be able to enjoy their childhood. And you know what, it's coming at them either way. It, it is. It coming is. At Either their friends are going to tell them or somebody you don't want to tell them is going to tell them. Exactly. You know, you need to be the one that is in charge of the information they get as parents. We need to be the ones. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I try not to sugarcoat anything. And if something's in the news, you know, we try to talk about it. And, and right, my, late, my latest thing is this whole uh, social media and trying to have a better understanding. I don't understand it. I don't understand everything it does. My daughter is schooling me. And right. yet, I'm like, well, here's some basic human nature pitfalls that you need to watch out for. Mm -hmm. So I right. think we're not, here's the other thing, and this is maybe a, I don't know how you feel about this, RC, but I'm also not trying to be my daughter's friend. I'm like, right. we can be right. friends when you're grown. Right now, you can be as mad at me as you want to be. I'm not your friend. I right. need to know everything and give it to me right now or you don't get to use it. Exactly. I mean, I had a, when you talked about those passwords, I had a discussion with my son and I said, see, here's the deal. I'm not going to argue with a child and I'm really not going to argue with my child. So, <laughs> so this is what it is, or you don't get what you want. Like I'm not your friend. That's not it. But, but I know for me, just being a single parent, sometimes I feel like, Oh, if I'm this harsh on him, he doesn't have somebody else to balance it. But he has plenty of people in his world. He can go whine about, gripe about and say, my mom gets on my last. <laughs> I, I, I think they like it too, ultimately, because it gives them a place to say, you know, she gets on my nose, but they're listening. I know she's listening to me. I know she is. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately I down the road will be good. Right. So when we talk about violence, um, now from my perspective, perspective, the trafficking alone alone is violence. Mm -hmm. But I want to dig more into the type of um, specific violence that occurs um, during trafficking, and it, just in the work that you've done in general. Um, we're talking about domestic violence uh, this month in October, and have you done work where? you've seen a lot of partnership violence or unhealthy relationships and then um what have those stories looked like oh, yes 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 and what's really challenging rc is i mean a lot of it i, I saw doing the survivors project um, um but you know some of it isn't even and this is one thing i really i was hoping to talk to you about mm -hmm. some of it isn't even physical Sometimes right. it's mental mm -hmm. and so few people regard 
that sort of verbal and mental abuse as really being domestic violence, the controlling. And I think this happens a lot with, with young girls, you know, teens in these relationships, even boys, boys too, Boy, yeah. um, mm -hmm. where they're controlled. So ultimately the person is, and I've been a victim of this, ultimately the person that you're with is trying to control you. So they do things like they, they try to take you away from your core relationships. Like, you know, your parent, I, I'm the only one that has your best interest at heart. You don't need to, I, I wish you weren't talking to them as much or the, you know, whatever. And it's a little, it's like, it's, it's a little, you know, nicks right. at the armor. It's not one big thing. It's a small thing, but the controlling behavior, if I can share with anybody and even myself sometimes to watch out for the controlling behavior, because if someone's trying to control your space, they're not good for you. Right. They're just not good for you. And it can be the, you know, demoralizing you, saying mm -hmm. that you're not good enough or saying, you know, I wish you would just, you know, care about me more because I love right. you so much. Right. Well, that's a loaded statement that's not healthy. What did I do? So then you're constantly trying to figure out how you can please this person. Mm -hmm. So that, to me, that is, can be just as insipid. And right. then the person becomes more and more a shell of themselves. And then they're more ripe for physical violence. And what's hard about the mental and verbal abuse is that people don't see it. Right. And there's not, it's not like a bruise where someone will say, oh, you know, you need to get out of that. I'm gonna try to help you and give you the support. So, you know, you can be in this really toxic situation where nobody has any clue. And the person that, and I've heard this comment many, many times where the person someone's dealing with is a Jekyll and Hyde, where to mm -hmm. everybody, in the public, they're wonderful and everybody loves them and they're great. But behind the scenes, they're treating you like crap and you're getting smaller and smaller and smaller in your space. And right. that can be just as difficult and, um, and problematic for people. And that happens, I think, a lot. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that about the mental um, and emotional abuse, because when people say domestic violence, I think the first thing people think of is someone with a black eye. And it starts before that. And that whole idea of controlling another person's whereabouts, who they speak to, the amount of time that they spend doing things that they love to do. Um, all of that are things that people need to watch out for. And I'm, I really like to talk to young girls about what healthy relationships look like to them, because a lot of times they will say, well, he loves me and that's why he wants to spend so much time with me. Right. That's exactly right. And sometimes it is real love and sometimes it's not. And right. sometimes it's control. Right. If someone is taking you away, like you said, from the things you care about and the things that you enjoy, then that's, that's not somebody that's loving you. That's somebody right. that's controlling you. Right. And people, I think young girls, and when you don't know, so I'm glad you're doing that sort of education, RC, because if you've never been in love before and you've never had a healthy relationship. Right, you, you don't know what that looks like. How would you know? You wouldn't know what it looks like. Right. Um, and then the, the Survivors Project, you said that you did see a lot of the violence when doing the Survivors Project. So I guess I want to um, have you introduce the Survivors Project to everybody else, tell them exactly what it is, the work that you were doing, and continue to do with the project. Wow, Survivors Project, it's, it's one of those things, it's, 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 I'm honored to have had a chance to work on the Survivors Project. 
it's a platform for people who have been uh, victims of sexual violence. Um, and it comes in so many forms. And one of, the, one of the things that I think has been helpful with the project is that you do see the various forms of sexual violence. You know, we have a young man, a man who was abused by a priest. And we have, um, RC is obviously featured. And we have a woman who was raped by a boyfriend who didn't even really understand at first that it was rape, right. but it was not consent. And the opposite of consent is rape. And so, but she didn't, and she didn't realize it. And again, she was in one of those relationships that began right. like she thought she was in love and he was a loving guy. And then it just turned to controlling. Um, but the, the thing that is, that I've been so humbled um, by is the impact that the project has because to a person, every one of you that's involved has shared that it's helped them mm -hmm. and that sharing has helped them and that hoping to have other people that are not in the same space. So it's helpful on one end to share and helpful on the other end to help and know you're helping. Right, exactly. Am I saying that correctly? From yes, your for sure, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And so to be able to provide that platform is humbling. It's just, it's so humbling. So we have it on our website, NBCChicago.com. And one of the important things I think we do is we provide context throughout the telling, the narrative. So um, for example, as RC was sharing her story, since hers was a, a campus situation, we, we may put up a statistic about campus sexual assaults. Um, and same with the young woman who, the boyfriend, the, 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 the boyfriend rape situation, we'll put up information about that. Um, and this, this, the statistics surrounding it and how, the trauma surrounding it. So we, we, right. we also fill in some of the gaps as to like one of the, uh, one of the survivors, the one who was, had been abused by a priest, didn't remember exactly what happened and then had a triggering moment and it came flooding back to him. That's normal. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely a normal brain response. And so we were able to put up how that happens. That's a normal response in between him, his telling of the story of how that's a common response. So it's just, it fills in the picture. Right. So that people have context within the narratives that are, that are being shared. And then we also provide resources within the body of the piece so that if you want to go directly to the source material on the study about the brain and why it represses memory, you can mm -hmm. go there. Right. And uh, so, that, so I just feel like it's, a, it's an opportunity, it's a platform to share for you and a platform for people who may be looking for resources, whether it's to talk to a friend or whether they need the resources themselves. Definitely. Thank you for explaining that. So what are some, what are the main things that you learn from the Survivors Project that you didn't know, or maybe you, you thought you knew, but it solidified that understanding? One of the things I learned that I was, the reason this, the, the project even began was because uh, I had women come to me and they wanted to share their stories. I was speaking at an event, I was emceeing an event for um, people who counsel people who have gone through sexual assault and sexual violence, and they wanted to share their stories. And I was like, whoa, 
I mean, they're so brave. I, 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 you know, usually you, when you think about it, you think, well, people aren't going to, you know, they would never want to share, but these women wanted to share. They wanted to, they had taken back what had happened to them, much right. like you did. And they wanted other people to know, and right. they wanted to help other people. Right. And I thought, well, a newscast, we, we just didn't have the, the ability to do that within our newscast. And I was like, if these people want to share and help other people, I've got to figure out a way to make this happen. And that's where the Survivors Project came from. And what I learned was that journey, that it's a journey mm -hmm. for victims of sexual violence. And that the process is is really important but once you go from victim to survivor i don't think i know stronger individuals yeah like once you yeah once you get to that space katie bar the door i'm right. coming exactly. back i'm making i am making things happen and that's exactly. every one of you is, has been that way i mean one of our survivors was uh, one of the victims of larry nasser mm -hmm. the uh the the gymnastics coach who had hundreds of young right. girls that he victimized and for years she didn't even know that she'd been victimized she thought it was a medical treatment you know and um when she came to that space and she was one of the people who testified at the at the hearing against him you know you, you could you could just you and we you could still you could feel how her journey got her to that point and then it was like this cannot be and everybody needs to know and right. then Right. It's just, it's, it, that's what I learned. I learned that there is so much strength that comes mm -hmm. from that journey. Right. And every one of you taught me that lesson. It's to a person. I, I learned that lesson from all of you. And it's, that's why it's so humbling. It's humbling. It's absolutely humbling. Mm. It's humbling for me. I'm a survivor, but hearing other people's stories and survivors of, of domestic violence, the stories, and of, of course, with a lot of sexual assault, there's that um, physical violence uh, as well um, as part of it. And it makes me, it humbles me to just say, oh my gosh, you know, there are people who are physically scarred for life or even emotionally more scarred than I am or are not in a place in their healing journey yet where they're this strong. And so that's what motivates me to continue to speak out on their behalf. Because whenever I tell my story, there'll be people who'll be 60, 70 years old coming up to me and saying to me, I could never do that. I, I have only told one person my story and I thank you for speaking. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. So. Yeah. When we have that gift in us to speak out and be a blessing to somebody else, I do think it's important that we use whatever platforms we have to do so. So thank you. No, thank um, you. Thank you. So those who are tuning in a little bit late, um, we are talking about um, violence in our communities, um, domestic violence, um, sexual violence, and I'm speaking with the award-winning journalist um, and investigative reporter, Marion Brooks. Um, and before we close, I just have one more question. Um, what do you hope for in the future in terms of stopping violence, um, particularly violence against women, but um, of course men as well, but I'm more in regards to domestic violence and, and sexual violence? What do you hope for in the future? Well, I hope it's, I would love to see it eradicated. I mean, so much of it is um, seeing people as people, as mm -hmm. human beings mm -hmm. with value. 
that goes across every race, creed, color, gender, okay. binary, non-binary, whoever you are at seeing people as people. If you yes. can put yourself in their shoes, you know, it's hard to, to try to hurt yourself and someone that you really can relate to as a human being. Mm -hmm. And I say that to men and women. I say, you know, I, I pray that men, you know, stop watching porn and stop thinking that it's okay to look at women, you know, as if they're nothing but an object to please you. Change the way you think. And people who are uh, violent toward women in the sense from, from a domestic violence point of view, men who are broken, they're broken for some reason because you wouldn't treat a person poorly if you had a whole exactly. heart yourself. Examine yourself. Think about yes. what you're doing, yes. you know. Raise your children. Raise your children out there to value human beings. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, maybe it's Pollyannish to hope that it will be eradicated one day. Um, I hope so. We have but to keep alive. <laughs> I do. I think, I think, you know, and humanizing is one of the first steps. Yes. I humanizing is one of the first steps. Yeah. They're just as much a human being as you are, and they deserve to live free and happy and without violence as you do, as anyone does. Excellent. I could not have said that better. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you everyone for watching. This has been an enlightening discussion. I know it's been a hard topic. Um, and for those of you who are currently in domestic violence situations, there is help out there. It is not your fault. No matter what you did, no matter what you said, no matter how you looked, no matter what you didn't do, it is not your fault. I will leave resources on my page. Please reach out. And if you just need somebody to talk to, there is a hotline. You don't have to say anything. You can get on the line and you can cry and you can say, I just need to breathe with someone on the other end and they will be there for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you so much again, Marianne Thank Brooks. you, Marcy, for what you're doing. Thanks again for listening. This episode has been brought to you by Fit Life Give, a Black-owned, queer, and trans-friendly luxury mobile spa. Fit Life Give specializes in couples and individual massage, from corporate events to spa and pamper parties all across the Chicagoland area. Massage is a form of fitness, and you need to have a fit-filled life in order to give to others. So book Fit Life Give for your next event or personal service. That's fitlifegive.biz.